Thanks for tuning in to our weekly message. Be sure to visit our website, weareheartland.us, to find out more about the ministry and all of our upcoming events. Well, hey, Heartland, welcome to what I hope is the last time you'll be watching a sermon like this recorded in this room. If you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, you know that next weekend, October 4th and 5th, we'll be opening up our doors to safely and respectfully uh, start meeting in person. So beginning next week, if you continue to watch online, you'll be seeing sermons with human beings in the room, multiple people in the room, which I'm so excited to deliver a sermon in a room with more than just blessing our production director who's great, but, you know, looking forward to talking to uh, more people than just him. Uh, welcome to week two of this short two-week series entitled Almost Accurate. Hopefully, last week you enjoyed plun plunging down the rabbit hole of the Mandela Effect. Um, I know one person, Max, I believe, my dude, was real upset that Jiffy Peanut Butter was not a real thing. He did not believe me and missed my entire sermon because he was Googling to try to prove that that was true, but Max, I love you. I appreciate the, the effort. Um, and you also saw last week, I walked around the staff offices and tried to get some, uh, some Mandela Effect uh, uh, readings from our staff. So here's part two of the Mandela Effect from our staff. Check it out. Real famous clothing company, Fruit of the Loom. Oh yeah. Could you in detail describe their logo? It's got fruit. That's uh, not a lot of detail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was the least detailed description. Well, it's three little fruits. It's okay. a, a apple, lemon, and orange, I think. Yeah. Or maybe there's a grape in there, but I think it's three, okay. three with stems. Anything else? Is it just the fruit? No, I just remember fruit. You got it correct. <gasps> Many did. people remember it with the cornucopia, no. but there's no cornucopia. Those of no. you who thought Fruit of the Loom had a cornucopia, no. you are wrong. You're a big fan of Looney Tunes. I am. Of course. Uh, so can you spell Looney Tunes? L-O-O-N-E-Y-T-O-O-N-S. You are so close. Everybody says tunes is spelled T-O-O, but it's not. It's T-U-N-E-S. It really is like tunes. Like the music, yeah. So those of you who thought it was Looney Tunes, it's actually oh tunes, like the music. There, you can oh. keep those. All right, blessing. You gotta do it. So you know the uh, 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 Febreze, like the yes. story that you do Febreze? So can you spell, how do you, how do you remember Febreze being spelled? F-R-E-B-R-E-Z. <laughs> oh, you're right. No, you're wrong, but look. Looks like Febreze, but it's Febreze. Oh. All right, one more. Oh. Uh, the shoe company Skechers. Yes. Can you spell their? Skechers, S K E T C. I'm bad at spelling. H E R S Skechers. Oh, you're wrong there. Skechers. Everybody says it has a T, but it doesn't. Skechers, but it just goes right. S K E C H. Describe the appearance of C3PO in Star Wars. C3PO. He's gold, and his elbows don't bend. That's that's really all I have. Is is he solid gold? Every every part of him is gold. I didn't. Well, that's how you I remember think so. him. That's how I remember him. You are incorrect. <laughs> Almost everybody is like he is 100% solid gold. When in fact, his right calf is silver. Real famous uh, kids book about a family of bears. Uh huh. Kids books. Yeah. Uh, what was it called? Berenstein Bears. Okay. So and so, can you spell the name as close as you can? B e a r bear e n s t e i n. Nope. <laughs> That's how everybody remembers it as the Berenstein Bears when 100% it's Berenstain. 
Isn't that trippy? You gotta be. I would have said a hundred percent. A V E R E, not B E A R. But everybody thinks Bernstein, and they spell it S T E I N. But the author, it's like their name, and it's Bernstein Bears. Oh my god. You keep that. Oh, cool. Good job, Mister. All right, thanks, man. All right, so the Mandela Effect has reached the staff offices of Heartland, so that's very exciting. Uh, as I mentioned last week, this is uh, part two of this uh, series called Almost Accurate, where we are looking at two misremembered and misquoted verses that we oftentimes believe are biblical, but are actually not in the Bible. Last week, we looked at the phrase, God makes all things work together for my good, which was close, but missing a few very, very key words uh, from a scripture in the book of Romans. Uh, for more on that, you can check out Heartland On Demand, or you can go to our website and go on a current series where you'll find uh, last week's teaching. You'll also be able to see uh, Carrie Grimmer's story, which I mentioned last week and will mention again this week, as well as a chapel sermon that I gave on another almost accurate uh, phrase, uh, love the sin or hate the sin. Not biblical. We think it's in the Bible, but uh, you can find that there too. Um, also, as I mentioned last week, my hope for these two weeks is that by correcting, correcting the accuracy of these famously misquoted scripture lines, we'll actually be more encouraged by what God is actually saying through his word versus what we've you know, gotten almost accurate. But before we get into that, as I was thinking about things that are almost accurate, that are like close, but you know, not quite, um, I, I started thinking of one of my favorite things to see online or in memes or whatever, which are uh, construction fails. And I want to walk through just a couple construction fails with you before. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I just think they're super funny. And uh, by the way, I'm not disrespecting construction workers by any means. I'm incredibly envious of those of you that have that skill. For me in my house, like, you know, I, my friends are like, I'm building a deck. And I'm like, who'd you hire to? And they're like, no, we're building a deck. And I'm like, what? So like for me, changing a light bulb successfully is a win. I'm like real pumped and babe. Did you see I changed it? She's like, yeah, it's just screwing it in and out. And I'm like real proud of it. Anyway, so I'm not disrespecting construction workers, but there are some hilarious, almost accurate construction fails that I want to uh, look at a few this morning. This first one uh, <laughs> uh, made me laugh because at the end of the job, somebody's like, hey, Bill, can you go get the ladder? And he's like, whoops, could go and get that one. Uh, this one is real bad. And I wondered when they were like a quarter mile out you know, or 40 yards out, didn't somebody at some point go, Hey boys, I think this isn't gonna line up real well. Uh, this one's so funny, especially the sign that says, please keep gate closed and locked. Real strong security uh, for these folks at their home, good for them. This one I LOL'd real hard when I saw it because I especially pictured realizing the fa fail until it was too late. <laughs> there was a lot of toilet ones. I had to edit a bunch of the toilet ones out, but this other toilet one made me laugh also. Like if you're having a board meeting, and you know, a nature call, I don't know, it felt weird. That felt like a very weird one. Uh, here's a sad one. Uh, the last slide you'll ever take right here is this is just, wee, bye Timmy. Okay, that's depressing there. Um, this one's just straight impressive. Like this has gotta be the most stressful exiting and entering into your garage in history. They uh, wanted to save a couple bucks, I guess. So, I mean, it's doable. I guess that's not a fail. That's just uh, real impressive. Um, this one, <laughs> a, a phone call would have saved a whole lot of trouble. I actually wanted to know who went second. Was it the door people or the ladder people? Because you just, again, would think at some point, halfway through, somebody's like, does this seem right to you, uh, what we're doing? That one was funny. This one, I just pictured the guy drawing the line sneezed, and this is the result of that, uh, doing that. A couple more. Um, here's the most terrifying staircase in history where they're like, hey, we've got a 10-foot drop and about two feet to work with, what can you do? And he's like, 
I'm on it. It's called the death staircase. Speaking of staircases, uh, here's a broken escalator, also known as a stairwell, which I, I picture somebody standing on for a good 10 seconds and like, is this escalator working? Uh, two more here. Um, here is the riskiest shower you'll ever take. Uh, so you're jumping in to take a shower here. It's always, it's, you, know, you say goodbye to your kids and family before you take that shower because yeah, that's risky. Yeah, that's a real intense one. This last one, I just felt bad for this dude who painted this rooftop a lovely shade of green and then at the last second realized, ah, what do I do? Uh, my life is meaningless. So, bro, good job on the painting. Sorry about that. All right, there's some construction almosts. I just think they're funny. There's some good ones out there. And all of them I am very capable and probably will make at some point in my life. All right, that's out of the way. That was fun. That was random. Let's jump into the phrase we're studying today. Here is the almost accurate uh, scripture phrase that we're studying uh, today. It is the phrase, God won't give me more than I can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Show of hands, how many of you have heard this phrase? I have heard this many, many times. Uh, so many times during this past year, I've seen it on social media. Usually people send it to someone who might be hurting, going through a difficult time. Uh, you know, the friends or strangers, or they're texting it online or posting a meme saying, hey, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, uh, I'm going to spend the majority of the minutes that we have remaining talking about why it's actually so good that this phrase is inaccurate and not biblical. But just for the sake of correction, I'll just show you the scripture that it's kind of loosely based on, I think. I think it's where we got it and sort of twisted it into this. So the scripture comes from 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says this specifically about temptation, the temptation of sin. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So as you can see, this is very different from the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. Last week's phrase was, was so close, just missing a few key words that change the whole meaning and are really important. But this one really totally misses the mark where Paul is specifically writing to his readers at the church in Corinth saying, hey, when it comes to the temptation of sin, you will be tempted, but God is so gracious and faithful. When that happens, he is going to give you a way out. It's a powerful verse, an amazing promise. We're not going to explore it this morning because, as I said, I want to look at two major problems with our almost accurate phrase and how the inaccuracy of them speaks so poorly to the truth of God and his relationship to our life. So two major problems with the phrase, God won't give me more than I can handle. Problem number one is that it implies that painful, difficult things we experience in life are caused by God. To say, God, hey, God won't give you more than you can handle is implying, has this subtle, like, subconscious message that God is going to cause a lot of bad, painful stuff to happen to you, but don't worry, he won't ever cause more than you can handle. Now, contrary to how many people unfortunately view God as this angry, vengeful old guy with a long white beard in the clouds, thankfully that's not true, the truth is that the main source of pain we experience is simply due to the world that we live in. This is a broken, sinful world where we will experience pain. 
We live in a world where there is death and pain and sickness and hurricanes, things out of our control that can cause pain in us. We also live in a world with seven billion other human beings, all of whom have the free will to make decisions that might cause death, pain, and sickness to the people around them. From our closest friends and family members saying things that hurt our feelings to corrupt governments whose greed causes poverty and starvation for millions, this world can cause incredible pain. This is not an angry God just venting frustration. It's the nature of the world that we exist in. Now, like I talked about last week, there will be times when God allows or leads us through difficult, sometimes painful seasons that even though they're unpleasant, the overall purpose of those is for our good. This in no way means that God is out to cause pain uh, just because he's on some power trip or he's angry at us or frustrated with us in any way. If there are times when God allows us to go through experiences of pain, it's because he loves us. It is for our long-term good, the good of the kingdom, to grow our character, purge sin from our lives, make us into the child that he created us to be, etc., etc. But this does not mean the pain we experience is from God in any way. It's part of this sinful, broken planet that we are living in as finite, sinful human beings. James, in his uh, first chapter of his book, says this amazing truth. This is the true heart and character of God, not one to cause pain or watch his people hurt. This is God's character. James says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. God doesn't send us pain. He sends us good and perfect gifts. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chooses to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. That is who God is. And that is problem number one with the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, because God is not the one doling out pain just for pain's sake. Now, we're going to look at the second problem, and this one is huge. The second problem with the phrase, God won't give me more than I can handle, is this. There will 100% absolutely be times throughout our lives when we will experience more than we can handle. The resiliency of human beings is incredible, but there will be times, possibly many times, throughout our lives when we face something that is so debilitating, so crushing, so overwhelming, we will not be able to handle it. Divorce, bankruptcy, eviction, cancer, brain injuries, the death of a child or parent or sibling or spouse, losing a job, being broken up with, a lifelong career or educational dream that didn't pan out, and so many other possibilities, all are things that when we are faced with them, when they suddenly drop into our lap, are 100% too much for us to handle. Ava is a great example of this. As I've talked about the story of my daughter, Lindsay and I were not prepared. We weren't ready for this. This is, of course, one of those things you just think happens to somebody else or hopefully, you know, never happens. But the experience of Ava's accident and all the devastation from that was 100% more than I could handle. And I've talked about this before. I talked about moments when I just had to sit in the fetal position in the hospital, unsure how to handle it. Moments of, of uh, being, un being so broken but unable to cry because of the magnitude. Moments where I couldn't stop crying. Nights where I, I, I couldn't fall asleep and it stayed up all night. Mornings when I didn't want to wake up and face the reality of the next day. I remember this moment um, driving home from the hospital. 
And I heard uh, uh, teacher Donald, author Donald, Mil Donald Miller talk about this, and I thought it was so brilliant, where I remember driving home from the hospital, and up until that point, I had never understood why somebody would want to do drugs. I've never done a drug, illegal drug in my, or I guess legal in some states, never done a drug in my life. And, but for the first time driving home, I, I didn't want to do them, I didn't want to experience them, but, that, but for the first time, I got it. I was like, oh, I completely get how somebody would want to escape and numb and just have a few moments of freedom from this crushing pain that is absolutely too much for me to handle. As I mentioned last week, Carrie's story, Carrie Grimmer, uh, our communications director, her story of being diagnosed with three kinds of cancer, having a double mastectomy, or mom passing away in the middle of this year-long uh, chemo that she was going through this battle with cancer, she, in talking about her story, said, yeah, absolutely, 100% too much for her or her husband or her kids to handle. Life is filled with moments, sometimes seasons, that are going to be way too much to handle. And this is true in scripture as well. There are many accounts from the pages of the Bible featuring women and men who, no different than you and me, experienced situations that were far more than they could handle. And one of the ways that you can find them is looking for someone tearing their clothes. The first time we read about this, this act in scripture is when one of Joseph's brother uh, realized that Joseph was gone, that, that his brothers had dropped him down a well, sold him into slavery. His brother Reuben, upon finding this out in Genesis 37, says sometime later Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief, then went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will we do now? A few verses later, when jo Jacob, Joseph's father, finds out, says, Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning my, for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Now, tearing of the clothes was a practice in ancient Israel reserved only for the most extreme moments of pain. It might seem like a little bit of an odd practice, but culturally it was very symbolic, very significant. When considering the economics of ancient Israel, clothing was a very valuable commodity. Nothing was mass produced, clothes were time intensive and expensive, all made by hand, which meant that most people in those days only had a very limited wardrobe. So because of this, people who tore their clothes were showing just how upset they truly were. By damaging one of the most important and expensive outward possessions they have, they were reflecting their inward depth of pain. We find many other examples of this in scripture. Joshua the Israelite elder tore his clothes and fell face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant after learning that they'd been defeated in battle because an Israelite had disobeyed God. Uh, Jephthah, one of Israelites judges, tore his clothes when he realized that his vow would result in the death of his beloved daughter. David, King David, and all of his soldiers tore their clothes when they heard that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Ahab, a king of Israel, tore his clothes and put on sackcloth when he learned that God planned to punish him and everyone he loved. And Ezra the scribe tore his clothes and pulled out all of his hair from his head and his beard when he learned that the Israelites of his day had disobeyed God and married into those who worshipped idols. It was such a known practice, in fact, that in the Torah, 
First five books of the Bible, God makes a point to instruct certain people, the priests, not to tear their clothes because their clothes were so symbolic of them representing the Lord. In Leviticus 21.10, says uh, God instructing his people said, the high priest has the highest rank of all the priests. The anointing oil has been poured out on his head and he has been ordained to wear the priestly garments. He must never leave his hair uncombed or tear his clothing. So as you can see, many of our Bible heroes went through something that was completely too much for them to handle, and they were not shy about it. Not only tearing their clothing as an outward expression, declaring to anybody around them, here's the pain, the grief, the crushing overwhelmingness that I experience right now, but they also wrote about it. And we can read about it in numerous places throughout Scripture. Listen to the psalm written by King David. Psalm 102, verses 1 through 5 says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Don't turn away from me in my time of distress. Bend down to listen and answer me quickly when I call you, for my days disappear like smoke and my bones burn like hot red coals. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I have lost my appetite. Because of my groaning, I am reduced to skin and bone. There are many other psalms, many other writings of the men and women of Scripture experiencing something that was completely overwhelming. Now, if I were to stop here, that'd be a real bummer of a sermon. That'd be the worst. Hey, the phrase is incorrect. You know, we're going to experience too much to handle. Good night, everybody. Let's pray. Yeah, I'm not going to stop here. But here's why this is good news that that phrase is incorrect. It's so important to understand why this phrase is not correct, because when we go through something that's too much for us to handle, when we are overwhelmed, when we suddenly find ourselves with a burden that's far too heavy to carry, we have the strength of the Almighty God to hand that burden to. The reason it's so important to correct this phrase is because we will experience burdens too heavy to carry so overwhelming, we feel like we're going to be crushed. But when we do, we are promised by our loving, divine, eternal, heavenly Father that He, not us, will be the one to carry that burden. That He will be with us through the deepest, darkest valleys. That there will be things that we will not be able to handle, but He will. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares to you. Not some of them, all your worries and cares to God. Matthew 11, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Not the burden you're carrying, the yoke of Jesus. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Deuteronomy 31, the Israelites facing the overwhelming uh, uh, prospect of conquering the people living in their promised land. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. I want today to be an encouragement to you because all of us, as I said, will face seasons of life, life that are too much to handle. And when we experience those moments, it's not encouraging to think, well, gosh, this feels completely overwhelming, but I thought God wouldn't give me too much to handle. Why, why would he allow this to happen to me? Instead, we can know the truth, that we don't have to handle it on our own. 
we can lean into the strength of our almighty God, our everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, whose strength is unmatched. You plus the strength of God equals the strength of God. We are promised God's strength and God's presence. When life is too much, he is there and nothing is too heavy for him to carry. And I can say this because I've been there and I am there. On days when I miss Ava so much, it hurts. On tough days and nights when she cries and cries, days when Lindsay and I are absolutely exhausted, her more than me, because she is much, much more selfless than me. When it's just too much, I, I, but I know I don't have to fix it. I know I don't have to handle it. I'm powerless to change it, and so I simply surrender. I have to. It's too much for me to handle, but I have a God who can handle it with me and for me. I take it one day, one hour, one step at a time. I pray, I reach out to friends, I'm honest with God, I heave all my cares and pain to him and ask for the strength to get through one more day and he has done it day after day and he is doing it. Some days I don't know if he will, some days I don't know how he will, but he does. I wanna conclude and talk about a moment where Jesus himself experienced something he felt was too much to handle which was the prospect of the cross. Uh, moments before his arrest, Jesus was praying, pleading with his father for there to be another way. And we're told it was so overwhelming to him that he was literally sweating blood as he prayed. Then, following the unspeakable, excruciating torture he endured, both physically and spiritually and mentally, after he was nailed to a wooden cross and left to die, Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, there are a number of ways to interpret this scripture, but I believe this was the moment that Jesus bore the entirety of sin on his shoulders. And because God is holy and sin cannot be a part of him, he separated himself from his only son so that the price of death could be paid for once and for all. And Jesus did this because of his love for you and for me. Jesus faced what he thought was more than he can handle. He handled it, then conquered it for you and for me. And because of that, because Jesus experienced this separation, Jesus experienced literal hell, separation from God. Jesus didn't have God the Father walking through it with him because he, fully human, fully God, handled it on his own. Because of that, now we don't have to. We can now, because of what Christ did, be with our Father and be sustained by his power and his strength, no matter how overwhelming any moment or season might be, both for now and for all eternity. Jesus thought it would be more than he could handle, but it wasn't. He willingly laid down his life, willingly experienced hell, separation from God, willingly did it so that we would never have to experience that separation. So that we can be in the presence of God and be carried and sustained by him whenever we are overwhelmed. The night before he was crucified, Jesus told his disciples, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You and I will experience things that are too much to handle. But take heart because we don't have to handle it. Jesus, who overcame the world, 
who conquered sin and death and darkness, he can handle. And to any of you experiencing something that right now is just too much for you to handle, I want to encourage you in three ways. First, know that it's okay to admit you cannot handle it. Second, know that God is not afraid of your heart. He's not afraid of your truth, of your anger, your weakness, your doubt, your confusion, your frustration. As you saw in Scripture, he welcomes us to pour out our hearts to him in complete honesty and truth. And third, know that God is present with you and invites you to let him handle it. Remember, you plus God equals God. I'll close with this psalm. Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety for you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. Let me pray. God, your love for us is overwhelming. <laughs> and when life gets overwhelming, Lord, um, we are so speechlessly grateful that you promise, that you command, that you beg us to let you handle it, to carry it with us, carry it for us. So I pray, Lord, um, through your Holy Spirit, no matter who is watching or listening to this, no matter what time of day, what area of the world, Lord, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would lift that burden in Jesus' name that maybe for the first time in a long time someone would experience peace and hope and freedom and joy saying, it's okay, I can't handle it because, Lord, you can't. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Join us online for our full Heartland service on Sundays at 9 a.m. and our community chapel on Wednesdays at 7 p.m.